Welcome to the Howell Fit Perspective. This is your host, Cade Howell, and I want to say thank you for tuning in to improve yourself physically and mentally. Enjoy the show. So today I had a really good conversation with someone that I look up to a ton, enough that I would actually hire him as my own coach to take care of my training and nutrition, which it's kind of ironic. I'm a coach. I hired a coach, but it's really helped me just kind of put myself in my client's shoes and understand the client side of this coaching relationship. Um, he's already taught me a ton, and this guy is insanely knowledgeable. It, it shows you how knowledgeable he really is because the fact that I trust him so much to take care of my training and nutrition. His name is Steve Hall. He is based out of the UK. He has a very successful company um, of coaching, and they have a member site called Revive Stronger. He is a bodybuilder, and so we talk a little bit about like his bodybuilding journey and how he got into things what he's currently doing, and then we dive in to some really valuable information that I wish I heard when I first got into fitness, and it's pretty much the five foundational things that you should be focusing on to change your body composition and improve your physique, so everything beyond these five things is really just splitting hairs, and it's not going to make a world of difference, but I know for a fact that if you take this information to heart and you apply the stuff that we talk about today, it's going to make a tremendous difference in your journey. So enjoy today's show. What are you focusing on right now in your journey? So at the moment, I'm, I finished a mini cut flipping it. That, that mini cut went so fast. Um, I finished the mini cut like I'm in the, I'm just entering, I've just finished the fourth week of my first mass after the mini cut. So I guess I finished the mini cut a month ago, which seems crazy to think that that was a month ago now. Yeah. Um, I remember well, seeing that's... on Instagram, like you were, you're mini cutting for a while, but I didn't know that you had already finished it that quick. Yeah. They, that's what mini cuts are, right? They're like in and out uh, as fast as you can. So yeah, gladly finished that. I think I actually only did three weeks. I always end up doing like really short mini cuts because I'm just like, I'm done. I get really aggressive and I'm out. So yeah, the, the massing mesocycle is going really well. I have another week planned after this. And thankfully I've somehow timed it perfectly so that I will start deloading just as like I'm breaking up for like to potentially travel to see family and things over Christmas, whether we're not still sure if we're going to do it, but like from next Wednesday is when I'm planned to deload from. And that's when Charlotte has uh, work off, like time off work. And that's when I'm taking time off work. So the deload week actually landed like absolutely bang on perfectly for me. So without really meaning to, because I normally work out like Monday through Saturday, whereas like I ended up shortening my deload after the mini cut and like squished in a few more days. So my kind of mesocycle is finishing midweek, which it, it normally wouldn't. But so, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty chuffed and that will lead me into, I think it will take me all the way until April. And then in April, I will have a primer phase, as I call them, kind of a low volume strength style phase to kind of reduce the fatigue from the massing or hypertrophy macrocycle, as it were, and really kind of like, quote unquote, cement my gains, um, kind of hold on to any tissue there. Found that's really helped to kind of, make sure that I'm not just like dieting off any kind of new tissue that I've built up. So that would take me to then the end of May for which I then start like a 20 week contest prep, hopefully as long as everything goes to plan. And that'll take me through to like the end of the year, 2021. So I should be shredded and hopefully, I mean, I'll do as well as I can. I know it's going to be a crazy season in 2021 because everyone's desperate to get on stage because a lot of people plan to do it this year and they, they couldn't. So when was when was the last time that you did step on stage? It's been a while, hasn't it? So last time I was on stage was 2017. So it will be four years. Really? Which is a while. Yeah. So I did 2014, 2017, and I planned to 2020. So like three every three years. But spaced them out nicely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It and just... you'll you'll be coming with a lot more mass. I've noticed like on Instagram, you've you've definitely added a lot of mass, that's for sure. I hope so. Um, it was interesting because I was planning to do 2020. So I dieted down, I got down to what would have been 15 pounds above my previous stage weight. And I was already being told by, it was Andrew Chappelle, who's been on my podcast. He's a 
natural pro bodybuilder and like he's actually a researcher as well he's a very cool guy and he was like dude you're you're right on the cusp of like you don't need like maybe five ten pounds and you're, you're kind of like stage ready and i was like no and so that's making me think there's definitely some added mass there because i was thinking i'd have to oftentimes in natural bodybuilding you hit the same sort of stage weight but you're just bigger and leaner every time so if i can be bigger and leaner but also heavier then i've i've truly truly kind of gained some serious mass in the, that previous off season which i needed to so i'm glad that it looks visually like that and it seems like it's playing out when i diet down well dude from when i first started listening to you because ironically like since you're my first coach ever that i've hired for the listeners by the way steve steve is my coach and I just started working with you, what, like two two weeks ago or something? Not long. But, yeah, it's been, it, it been about two weeks. Like it's, it's good. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's awesome. I feel like we got something going on here. It's going well. But you were you were like the first person that I started listening to in the fitness industry. And to wow. be honest, like back then you were you were just kind of like this little skinnier guy podcasting. And you, like, you knew what you were talking about. And it's just been crazy to watch your transformation, all the mass that you've added and the knowledge that you've gained. Like it's insane. How long has it been overall since you really began this so uh, first of all i appreciate that and it always blows my mind that maybe i'm one of the first people someone starts listening to because i'm like why do you find me like surely there's someone else but it's always really cool uh so yeah i started i started actually lift like going to the gym i can remember because my two friends went and i was like why why aren't you inviting me like i want to go to the gym so then i started going and this was just before I turned 16. And the reason I know that is because it was like, you're not legally meant to be allowed to train in the gym until you're 16, apparently, um, over here. I don't know if that rule still applies, but like you weren't meant to be allowed. So I've been, and I'm now 30. So it's been a long time since I've been in the weight room, but I don't say I've been training for that many years because through 16 to, I think it was like just before I turned 21, really, I, I kind of made some newbie gains and like saw some rapid progress. I even got like the nickname Big Steve. And this was like, I was not big. Big I was Steve. Just bigger than the other guys by a tiny margin. Um, so I, I just didn't feed myself for it. But then obviously, not obviously, at university when I was there, I had an accident. And uh, that led me to kind of leading to be in hospital. And I lost like any newbie gains I'd gained. I'd lost all. I lost like, oh, like close to 20 pounds or something. I can't remember off the top of my head how much I lost in hospital, but a lot of weight because I was basically not moving and I had no appetite. So I went in like relatively like almost do you lift like maybe just about and then came out like, man, like you look a bit malnourished. Uh, So considering I'm sitting here now at like 190 pounds and I came out of hospital like 130 pounds. So like I'm a 60 pound bigger human just sat here, which is just stupid. Um, So then after that, I was like, between the like the the time I was training before, I was very much into other sports. So I was still playing football. That was like my main thing or soccer uh, for the Americans. And I was trying rowing clubs. I did like a lot of running and just like, I was like, I like general health, well-being and fitness. And I was never like out and out bodybuilding, even though I'd like go to the gym like every day and train. But then I do like sprints off my workout or something. It was just like made no sense. Back so, and forth. Yeah. I, yeah. I, that's how, that's where I started was like sprints afterwards and like just going just, back and forth. It's like, you don't, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. It was it's fun though. Like, it, it was kind of like, it's fun, but also I'm like, you, were, I was just looking back at myself. I'm like I was mental. Like I <laughs> go to the gym for like, as soon as the doors opened at my uni gym before my lectures, before breakfast. And then after the kind of, the gym would open i'd get right in there an hour done and then i'd come back to my halls and get like boiled eggs i'd remove the yolks and just eat the whites and like have a bowl of oatmeal and then i'd go to my lectures and then come back before like our like dinner i'd go and do like hit intervals sprints because i was like yeah i'm gonna like earn my dinner and then i'd like earn my dinner such an unhealthy relationship with food unreal like it, i can laugh at it now because it's just like I was like, I look at like, I don't know, I was trying to be like an athlete and you look at my physique and like what I was doing, I was like, man, I was weak and like, I mean, I was okay at running. But um, yeah, after the accident, that's when I was like, man, I am not very confident. I wasn't in a very healthy position to like do other sports and things. I was on fluid restrictions for some of my kind of the head injury led to all sorts of problems. So I just kind of found the gym and then found some like online forums for bodybuilding and learn about like bulking and like different training routines. And over time just started getting back into it. So 
I really say from about the age of 21 is where I started taking it really seriously. And that's where like I started to find, I think I found, maybe I found Matt Ogus first, or he might've been somewhere down the line, but it's like Matt Ogus, if you remember, he's still kind of around Ian McCarthy. He was kind of like on the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that was where I found like 3DMJ. I found the bodybuilding forums, Alan Aragon, Lar McDonald, um, all of them. And then I was like, wow, like I can actually kind of live this because I was so restricted before I found like flexible dieting and macros and things. I was all like just clean bulking and trying to eat all this great food and way too much of it, way too much protein. I look back at some meal plans. I was eating like 300 plus grams of protein. I'm so fine. I was like 140 pounds eating like double amount of body weight of protein. It was just absurd. So yeah, it's been a kind of a, a harsh beginning, but things are slowly getting better and better. Um, so yeah, it's, I say I've been lifting and kind of doing it properly for about a decade. I think that's how it starts for everyone. For me, I know it started that way as well. It's like just getting, just get to the gym and like, you have some buddies and it's kind of like this little competition and you, none of you really know what you're doing, but that's where it all starts. And that's where the fun really begins. So now you have your business revived stronger. How long has that been going? So yeah, that I kind of started, I don't know when I started revived with Stephen Hall. That was the first kind of name I'd given to it. I changed it to revive stronger when I realized I wanted it to be more than just me because I wanted it, to, I wanted to have a team, which I thankfully do now and have Pascal Flora as my business partner, which is really cool. But yeah, I think it really started to cement itself in 2014, because that's when I went and became a full-time personal trainer. So I was a one-on-one personal trainer for less than a year. Um, and I started transitioning to online coaching within that first year. And that was 2014. And that coincided with my first contest prep. And so there was some like exposure. There was also people seeing me within the gym kind of get leaner than they'd ever seen anyone in their lives and like lifting in ways that they're like, he does a lot of, I remember I had another nickname called the compound guy. They're like, yeah, we called you the compound guy. Cause all you did was like big compounds. <laughs> compound <laughs> big Steve. <is laughs> yeah. That's your name now. I'll call you so, that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and now, yeah. So that 2014 basically is when it started. So it's been going like a good like five years or so and then revive and I forget when Pascal joined the team but maybe it was 2016 uh, roughly around there Um, and so it's just been moving forward ever since then. So when you started was it it was just you starting the company and then slowly like you brought on some different coaches like Pascal and and Harry and different people who I guess how many people do you have on the team now? Yeah so yeah initially I think it may even have been, and Ryan will know better than me, Ryan Solomon, who is mm-hmm. a coach on the team, but he got in, tonka, uh, in contact with me ages ago to see if like I could, he could intern. So he became my intern and has been for absolutely ages, just doing little bits behind the scenes. So he does quite a lot for us now. Like he does our email. Um, he does like little bits of kind of editing behind the scenes. And also he fa- like our team revives stronger Facebook, uh, not Facebook, Instagram. He does all the posts on there. So he does quite a lot of like behind the scenes stuff and like stuff for our members site and Ryan's big three he summarizes the podcast. Like he does loads of little bits. So Ryan has actually probably been the person who's been around the longest. Um, I then brought on someone as like a full-time coach when I wasn't really in a position to do it, I just was like, I want to work with someone. Like I wasn't like full of clients, like busting. I was just like, yeah, I have an okay number of people on my roster. I want to like go into business with someone else. And I actually brought on someone called Mark Newcomb. So if anyone listens back to like some of the first episodes of the Revive Stronger podcast, you'll notice there's a Scottish guy on the podcast because that's him. Uh, and unfortunately, that the business was new. I didn't have a load of business for him. He was in a tricky position with work and stuff. So he had to leave and he, I think he was going into, uh, to be, he was an electrician, electrician, which was just earning way more money. So he had to leave. So then I started just building on things myself. And that's when I did like a formal process to bring someone on. So I got, I can't remember the exact process, but it was something along the lines of like, why do you want to work for Rive Stronger? Then I got people to like produce a piece of social media content, got them to program for like a random client. And then eventually I like interviewed them. So Pascal was just like nailed every single step of the process. I was like, who is that? I'd actually met Pascal. So I knew who he was. We'd met at a seminar before. So I already knew he was like a cool guy and he was interacting in like some of my Facebook groups that I was in. 
and uh, he was just literally German efficiency. Like everything was just like on the money, on the money. I was like, uh, as soon as we had the interview, I was like, I don't know, five minutes in, I was just like, mate, you've got the job. Come on. <laughs> um, and it was before it was, I was, I feel bad because it was before I even interviewed everyone else. I'd already decided basically there and then I was like, this guy, it's just like, he's dominated this. So yeah, that was about 2016. And then I think the next step was uh, Ryan becoming an intern. He became a full-time coach. And then we brought on Harry kind of uh, maybe only, I, I don't know how recent, but certainly in 2019, it might've been, we brought on Harry as a full-time coach, um, Harry Smith, and he's a, mainly a one-on-one -on -one PT. And then next was Jess came on as an intern. Uh, and then she may even become an intern this year. And just a few months ago became a full-time coach for us as well. So now we have uh, myself, Pascal, Harry, Jess, and Ryan, all full-time coaches at Revive. That's awesome. Cause yeah, like I said, I, I started out watching you just like this little guy on the computer screen and you've, you've yeah. evolved an insane amount in through your business and your physical transformation and everything. It's been, it's been awesome, but I've followed you on Instagram since the beginning as well. And Amazing. I, yeah, I, I saw one of your posts the other day. You're, you're one of the people that always come up on my feed because I'm always liking your stuff and watching your stories. So I see pretty much all of your posts at this point, but I saw one that really stood out and it just went over like five of the things that you pretty much talked about how you are way into bodybuilding. You have everything dialed in all of the little tiny details that quite honestly don't matter in a lot of people's journeys. You have all that dialed in, but there's specific things that if you dial them in they are what make the real big difference do you you remember that one from just a few days ago i remember the post yeah i'm not going to remember the uh the five things off the top of my head i i i pulled them, them up yeah, you have yeah. Them. that's good so <laughs> that i kind of just wanted to go over that because that was honestly like i that was spot on because a lot of people will get too hung up on just all the fine details and they won't yeah. actually get into the stuff that really matters. So number yeah, I, one, I, I've pulled them up as well now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I remember now we're on, we're on this, we're on the same page. That was one of my favorite posts I've seen in a long time. Cause I think I appreciate that a lot of people need to hear that. But number one was consume calories in accordance with your goal. You may want to see about 0.5 to one pound loss per week for fat loss and that much gained per two weeks for muscle. So yeah. with that kind of explain, explain that to us yeah i think i can't i as you know i post on instagram like every day so mm -hmm. i get kind of random spurts of inspiration and i don't know where the kind of the dilute your fitness content came from but i think it was a case of like i just you see people getting lost all the time and they focus on the minutiae they focus on the little small details and i'm just like hold up like are you what are you are you missing out on the bigger things it's like i various things like people focus too much on supplements that's the obvious one right so it's like that's the the final thing you ever need to look at they're never going to make or break your progress but you could be in it then you could like work down and be like okay so what time should i eat and you're like god why are you focusing on these things have become sexy but the kind of boring basic stuff that if you do day in day out you're going to see great results they get left behind so one of those is and i mean five of them here is just calorie consumption unfortunately we can't, and this is something I learned early on because as we were speaking about before, like I'd be doing all this hit cardio, I'd be weight training, eating clean, trying to gain muscle, lose fat, get fitter, get stronger at the same time. And unfortunately, once you get past like the novice stages, you become an intermediate. When you spread yourself too thinly in one direction, you just hurt yourself, you hurt the progress there. So um, when you, one of the biggest tools you can help yourself with for, well, First of all, fat loss isn't going to happen without a calorie deficit. You're just not going to be able to lose the fat. It's just not going to happen. That's like the first law of thermodynamics. But again, lots of people get lost in like, oh, what should my calorie deficit be? Should it be this percent, that percent? I'm just like, well, whatever you need to do, you need to focus on the scale going down and lose it at an appropriate rate, which is where the kind of, for most people, one to two pounds is probably not a bad shout. Uh, for smaller individuals, females normally, they probably want to go towards the slower end, leaner individuals, the slower end. And then bigger guys, they can go like two pounds a week sometimes. So kind of having that understanding then makes it a bit simpler because they're just like, okay, so I, I just need to see the scale weight go down. 
And then with, and that, that's like, that has to happen in terms of fat loss, you need to be in a calorie deficit. And then a, in terms of muscle gain, again, you could like optimize your nutrient timing. You could have all the kind of great creatine, whey protein, casein before bed. But if you aren't giving yourself an excess amount of calories, you're really short kind of exchange yourself progress because that's one of the most anabolic things you can do is be in a surplus like that's it like by itself is anabolic and the easiest analogy for that is if you have a house and you're trying to build an extension how are you going to build that extension if you don't have like excess bricks coming in if you've just got like 100 bricks and you've already used 100 bricks how are you going to add an extension to the house you're not going to be able to so if you kind of bring some raw material through the calorie surplus it's just going to make it way more effective to build um like the other analogy could be like you have 100 bricks but maybe like i don't know 50 uh, bits of material lying around you that they're, they're somewhat being used but they're not quite so you try and use that energy to build the extension kind of the body recomposition where you try and use liberate fat for kind of energy to build that it's just super inefficient really hard to do it's very very slow and painful so just by putting yourself in that surplus and looking at it every two weeks because gaining muscles is a slower process but if you see the scale go up by every two weeks by that small amount then you know you're putting yourself in a position where you've got that extra material so the body's like cool I'm, I'm pretty happy to build something here versus kind of holding yourself back and just like spinning your wheels in that sense and, and that comes from experience like uh, I probably a lot of people have been there where they've just like tried really hard to gain muscle and lose fat and you just end up like kind of looking the same every single week and it's just infuriating but so many people even when they they know better and they're like I know I should be in a surplus they can do the fat loss side, but to consistently put themselves in that surplus for months, for potentially years, just now and then coming out of it, people don't like doing that because it's not particularly fun after a while and it becomes comfortable to eat a lot of food, but maybe not quite enough to put yourself in a surplus and you kind of just get comfortable, but maybe you're not comfortable with the way you look and you want to be bigger. Well, there you go. You need to kind of up your game a little bit. And before you focus on nutrient timing, supplementation, make sure your calories in place. So that's where that first one came really. Yeah. And that's honestly exactly why I hired you as my coach is because I was too hung up in all this other stuff. I wanted to stay lean, but I also wanted to build muscle and it was just kind of this back and forth. And like you said, like just getting comfortable in certain areas and then you just tend to stagnate and you don't progress. Like I went a full year where I didn't really make much progress because I wasn't focused on the things that really matter. Now, one question with overall calories and like the rate of loss do you go off of actual pounds per week or do you usually go off a percentage or is that kind of again just like reducing how complicated it is for some people just like going on a pound to pound basis so yeah you're completely right the uh the one to two pounds was for simplicity's sake i do think there's good rationale to have a percentage of body weight loss figure which is really proportional to the amount of body fat that you're holding in that the more body fat you have, the more you can, uh, sorry, you, the more you can lose without risking muscle loss, because if you're losing weight, you want to make sure it's fat and uh, there becomes time as you have less fat, it becomes more risk that there's going to be muscle loss, which most people listening probably don't want. Uh, so yeah, I, I like generally as a, a rule of thumb, um, I think there is a, I can't think of it off the top of my head, what the kind of calculation for it is exactly. You can do like your body weight, sorry, your body fat, multiplied by a figure to give you kind of a percentage loss that you could lose inherently people aren't very good at kind of estimating body fat percentages and we don't have any tools or devices that are particularly good so when someone i just think of a, a mostly a guy if they are in a position where they don't really have any muscle definition particularly so can't really see their abs maybe slightly faintly no real kind of like division between their quads um, again like their chest is just like kind of flat when they're kind of in that position they have enough body fat there where they could be comfortable losing at least a percentage per week of body weight up to potentially two percent for a period of time so that's probably for someone who's 15 percent body fat plus once you get into that kind of 10 to 15 percent that's where things you start seeing some of that condition come through if especially if you're someone who's lifted for a while if you're kind of very new to lifting it might take you a while to see any definition you might never see any definition unfortunately because there's just not much to show yet 
But if you're relatively well-trained, you might start seeing some quad divisions. You might start seeing some more abdominal development come through. Uh, maybe some of the obliques, maybe like a few kind of divisions around the chest and the, the, the delts start showing themselves. Um, you kind of look, you, you feel decent. You look good on a beach kind of within this zone here that's where you might want to start slowing your rate of loss down so you might go for like that 0.5 to 0.75 percent body weight loss per week kind of in that zone and then once you start getting to the point where it's like okay you have clear muscle separation maybe like one striation coming through like wherever you're really really lean now you're getting to those like 10 percent zone and that's where it's like okay you definitely want to be losing at like 0.5 percent of body weight per week and if you're dipping below 10 percent I hope either you're doing a photo shoot or you're doing like a bodybuilding show because that's where stuff gets really uncomfortable and uh, it's not worth the cost for most people in terms of dieting through that. And that's where you, again, maybe slow things down between 0.25% per week to 0.5%. And that's all because like you have less fat to liberate. So you risk muscle loss by losing much quicker than that. And I would say alongside all of that, that's all assuming that your training is going okay, that you're sleeping well, that you have a good diet in place, because probably uh, you, if, if those other things aren't in place, you're probably losing too fast and you will risk muscle loss because you haven't got the protein to kind of bolster muscle protein synthesis, your sleep. And if, basically, if your sleep's not great, your training is probably not going to be great either. And so you want your performance at least not to be dipping like week on week on week. You might now and then see like a, a slight dip because leverage has changed. You don't have as much kind of glycogen to perform well, but it shouldn't be like dropping like every week because then something could be going wrong. And equally, if your performance is still really good and you're losing at a decent pace, you might decide, okay, I can actually risk losing a bit faster than maybe Steve's outline there. But again, if you haven't got a deadline, I would say like, why rush the process? It's always safer just to go a bit slower because building muscle is damn hard once you get advanced. So I don't like anyone to risk kind of losing any of that yeah and i think i think there is value in having some people like for some clients i like to tell them like on a pound to pound basis this is how much we're aiming for where other people they can other people kind of want to know the finer details and the percentages of how much they should be losing each week so they can actually have a set number that they're aiming for and they don't get too hung up in the details they they just want to know what's happening behind the scenes. And I think there's some value in explaining it both ways for sure. So number two here is eat one gram per pound of protein a day split relatively evenly between three to six meals front and back end your day. So explain the whole front and back end your day thing real quick. Cool. So yeah, effectively through the day, we are building muscle, uh, kind of we're storing fat, losing muscle and uh, this is through just a process of muscle protein synthesis which is muscle growth and muscle protein breakdown that's that's um, really interesting to me because i always thought like when you're in a gaining phase you're just building muscle all the time because you're in a calorie surplus so you're always building muscle but it's it's interesting to think about it in the way that like you build a little bit of muscle then the next hour you could be losing a little muscle and and burning fat and it just kind of goes back and forth and yeah. whatever ends up coming out on top is what you're doing in at the end of the day right that's exactly it so yeah if, if basically if muscle protein uh, synthesis outweighs breakdown by the end of the day which if you're in a surplus is very likely to especially if you're eating enough protein it's very likely to then you're going to be kind of uh, building some muscle there and muscle protein synthesis seems to have like a kind of peak and trough type of effect where you can kind of maximize its kind of height in terms of the peak, but then it starts lowering down as you kind of digest and assimilate that protein. So then it starts moving down to muscle protein breakdown. So then once it comes down, you kind of want to bolster it again. So because of this peak and trough, um, like through the night, it's like you're not able to eat, so you can't kind of peak your muscle protein synthesis so it's a good idea to back end your day with maybe a slower digesting protein like a kind of casein powder or a whey uh, sorry a greek yogurt or something along those lines some cottage cheese if people still eat that stuff hey uh, i so, love cottage cheese you better <laughs> I, <actually> like it. <laughs> I love it man <laughs> so yeah at the end of the day having that is great because then you 
kind of bolster your muscle protein synthesis. It also then is slow to digest. I think the word is like it globulates, which is just a, such a, a weird, freaky word. It kind of that like, like explains what it happened though. Globulate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like you can make a casein pudding or like Greek yogurt's really thick. So it's like, um, sorry. So it's, what's it called? Cottage cheese. So then it kind of digests more slowly and it, kind of the amino acids are kind of, and I remember it being like a bro thing back in the day, but actually kind of works quite well, like drip feeds your muscle with like amino acids and stuff through the night. So that that kind of dip doesn't just like with whey protein, it's very easy to digest. It's kind of assimilates very quickly. You get like a big peak and then a trough. So by having that before bed, that's great having a casein because then it kind of bolsters muscle protein synthesis through the night. But then by the time you wake up, you've probably been in like a net muscle protein breakdown for a little bit. So you want to kind of get that protein serving in pretty quickly. And then every kind of I mean, through mixed meals and things and the kind of the research is normally done away protein a lot of the time. And so the suggestion is consuming protein every three to five hours. Uh, and so then that's why it's like three to six meals kind of roughly spread through the day. And if you're eating one gram per pound, you're probably getting enough protein per every feeding to bolster muscle protein synthesis to the most. And it seems between 20 to 40 grams of high quality. And I mean like a full amino acid profile, so that's normally like an animal protein, uh, protein source will bolster muscle protein synthesis to the most. So every serving of protein that you eat in the day, hopefully has 20 to 40 grams. So if you're a small individual and you try and spread your like one gram per pound uh, of protein through six meals, you might be under that. And so you probably don't want to go to that low, like that high end of meal frequency. But if you're a big guy, you're probably eating a lot of food. You can probably spread it through six. So a smaller individual might want to go towards the lower end of that. A larger individual could spread it over more. Not really one's better than the other. I would say on average, like four to five is a great place for a lot of people to land. Um, but yeah, by front and back ending the day, they're just like, they're kind of securing the night as best as possible. And then they're kind of bolstering things as soon as they got up. And then if they were to have like one more in the middle of the day there, like they're, they're doing a pretty good job to keep muscle protein synthesis as elevated as possible throughout the period of time. So yeah, there are like, I already went into a bit of nuance there. Like it's a very basic general recommendation that I put there, which would suit most people, but there's definitely some like things you could kind of look through a little bit more deeply if you needed to. And that's, that's the stuff that fascinates me. And I'm sure you're the same way. Obviously you're the same way since you know so much about it. It's like the kind of those details is what's so fascinating to me that, so it's, it's good to have that discussion. I think a lot of people out there are the same way. Some people will benefit from the more simplistic side of things and some people want the details. So with kind of like in an, an applicable sense, do you, so you have, you like to have like some sort of some sort of casein or slow digesting protein before bed. And then, so in the mornings, would you do like a rapid digesting, like a whey or something in the mornings to get that protein in as quickly as possible? So yeah, and it's interesting because even in the evening, you could slow down your protein by adding some fats in there. So you could have like a whey protein, but then you add some fat, like a, a decent amount of fat will slow it down quite dramatically. Um, but I don't like having a big meal before bed because then that starts to have kind of interlays into sleep um, and also potentially some downsides in terms of chrononutrition and more likely to store that as fat versus having it earlier in the day. You seem to be more insulin sensitive during the early parts of the day, which might be better off having that. So that's why the casein is great because it's low fats, just protein, doesn't seem to impair sleep and it's slow digesting. So, and then correctly in the morning, I do tend to prefer a whey. Um, I don't think it's super important. Um, it also depends on someone's day. So if they're having that breakfast and then weren't eating for like six hours, I'd be like, well, you could have whey, but you want to then have some fat. You want to have a bunch of fiber in there. And if you're eating less frequently, you're probably going to have more fat and fiber within each meal anyway, because that's just how it will go. Whereas if you're eating many frequent meals, then you probably want them to digest very quickly so that next time you eat, like you're in a position where you're not eating on top of, there's probably always a bit of food still in your gastric tract that I'm sure there will be, but you don't want to always just be like piling food on top of food. That's not very comfortable. So yeah, the, the recommendation would generally be to have a, a faster digesting one in the morning, but I don't think it's a, as big a concern. Now, when someone's focusing on building muscle versus losing fat, would they want to? Cause probably when you're building muscle, you want to get that meal in as quickly as possible from waking up. 
Um, what about compared to when you're focused on fat loss? Is it the similar situation where you should get it in as quickly as possible? Is it, should it just be protein in the mornings? Like what's your opinion on kind of the intermittent fasting style of eating? So yeah, intermittent fasting can work really well. Um, I tend to think, and, and really what it does is it nails calorie balance. It nails macronutrients, um, hopefully new, like food composition as well, depending on the, how the person's eating. Cause some people use intermittent fasting to eat a bunch of junk, which is unfortunate, uh, because it can be easy to do that, but it, where it misses things is nutrient timing. And that's one of the smaller details, but for someone who is going advanced or uh, fat loss, those smaller details start mattering quite a bit. So I'd never want someone who's like, again, really lean going to stage doing intermittent fasting. Cause I'm like, oh, you, you're probably kind of putting yourself in a poor position to maintain as much muscle as possible. So I prefer in such a case uh, for like a protein modified intermittent fast. So they might only have like whey or casein or just some Greek yogurt, something that's kind of like low in fat, low in carbs and have that through the day. Um, but a, a full amino acid profile, cause some people will try and have like EAAs or like BCAAs and, because they don't have the full amino acid profile, they're probably not getting the fullest benefit of muscle protein synthesis there. So I like someone to have like a, a whey protein or just like a chicken salad or something versus like just fasting the entire time. But if someone's like more gen pop, um, if they are kind of earlier in their career or they worry less about a bit of kind of uh, muscle loss, or maybe they're holding on to quite a bit of fat, I think the intermittent fasting approach can work better for them and they risk less more of the kind of the details of nutrient timing matter much more, the leaner and more serious and advanced you are. Uh, whereas, yeah, if you're lesser, then it matters much less. I think that's a really good way of explaining it. Cause like we've talked about, like people, there's, there's people on each end of the spectrum. Some people that really want to dial in every single detail. You and I tend to be those people. Cause we're, we're a little weird. We get a little OCD with things, but then there's other people that just, they can still make great, fantastic progress by dialing in kind of similar to these five things that we're talking about right now. It doesn't have to be all of these little details dialed in all of the time. So going on to number three, it's train hard and enough. You should see reps slow down and feel that your muscles have, have gotten tired. Likely with 10 to 20 sets per main muscle groups per week split between two to four sessions. So there's a, there's a lot to that one right there. But yeah. basically training hard and enough. Is there a system that you use, maybe reps in reserve that you use to gauge how hard it is and how, and then we can move on to volume after that. For sure. So yeah, it's, I think a lot of people, what people hear training hard and they don't really know what that means. And cause training hard to someone could be like, man, doing bozable squats are freaking hard. And I agree, they are really hard, <laughs> but they're not necessarily challenging the muscle. They're more so challenging your balance. Uh, so that's why I like people to be sure that the muscles feel like they've worked hard. So long as your muscle feels like it's kind of been disrupted. So maybe it's tight. It's maybe quivering a little bit. Um, it just reminds me because I was making a protein shake and I was like putting all the powder in and Charlotte was like, Hey, your like arms were like quivering. And I was like, that's because I just trained forearms. It was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> she was like, that's weird. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's just the response the body makes. Like when you're tired, things like the, I don't know, it's something to do with the nervous system is just like struggling a little bit there. So yeah, it's, it's a normal sensation. But if you're going through a hypertrophy specific program and you think you're training hard, but it doesn't feel like the muscles are tired. And when you train, you're not training to the point where reps are starting to slow down you can be pretty sure that you've left too much in the tank there probably for really great gains. And that's where kind of the reps in reserve, the relative intensity comes in. And this is where failure training works great for a lot of people because there is nothing left to question there. Did this person train hard? They're doing a dumbbell bench press and they press to the point where they drop the dumbbells to their side because they couldn't push up anymore. So, well, you've, you've trained to failure. You've definitely trained hard. I have no doubt that if you did enough sets of that, you'd feel like you've done a really decent session. But there are downsides to training to failure and quite big downsides for a lot of people. Uh, risk of injury is much higher. And also it makes for some people really challenging to get in sufficient work totally. Uh, and there is no upside to necessarily train to failure apart from the fact that you know you've worked hard enough. So for people who 
can identify reps slowing down. They can identify, oh, my muscle feels fatigued. When you can identify some of those factors, you don't have to train to failure. You can just train to a point where it's like, okay, like I know I've done good work here. So that's like a four RER and anything, uh, four RER being four reps in reserve and then three, two, one, and then naught being, you had no more good reps left. Anything within that zone is enough uh, in terms of stress and relative intensity to be hard enough to create an overload stimulus for muscle growth. And then you need to do enough of that, uh, enough volume wise to uh, make sure that it's causing a stimulus for kind of muscle growth. And that tends that to be, yeah, yeah. And that tends to be like in the 10 to 20 rep range per muscle group or movement pattern per week, right? So 10 to 20 set range, yeah. Or, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's easy to get those two. <laughs> yeah. like big, 10 to 20 reps is a pretty good rep range to land with. As well, to <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, 10 to 20 sets from the scientific literature seems to be the ballpark range where people are seeing the best growth. Um, and anything less than 10 for sure could work but you need to be sure that you're, it's kind of similar to um, if you're doing 10 or more, you'd be pretty sure you're probably doing enough. If you're doing less than 10, you need to be very aware of kind of, am I getting a good kind of muscular stimulus here? Am I progressively overloading kind of mesocycle to mesocycle or whatever's an appropriate amount of time to see increases in strength. But yeah, within the literature, 10 to 20 sets seems to be a pretty good place. And if you're, when I say main muscle groups, I'm talking about kind of the back, uh, the chest, um, the, the, the quads, the hamstrings, and those are kind of your main muscle groups. And then things like triceps, biceps for a lot of people, 10 to 20 sets of just big compound lifts that hit the main muscle groups. They're still be getting enough volume for those smaller muscle groups as well. I think a lot of people get confused with that. They're like, oh, I have to do, I don't know, 20 sets for my traps, for my forearms, for my calves, for my abs, for my upper pec, my lower pec, my like rear delt, side delt, like front delt. And I'm just like, Jesus, that's way too much. <laughs> probably Be in the gym like, for hours. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's why I like people to, it just kind of simplifies that a little bit. It's like, if you're doing a barbell bench press, you're getting a bunch of good volume for your chest and your triceps and your anterior deltoids. Probably if you're doing enough for your chest, you probably almost hit enough for your triceps. If you're a little bit more advanced, you need, might need to isolate those with a little bit. Um, and you're certainly doing enough for your interior deltoids unless you're a unique person who has lagging front delts, which some people do. So when it comes to back, one question that I've always had is like horizontal pulling movements versus vertical pulling movements. Do you, cause one will isolate the lats more and the other will isolate more of like the rhomboids and traps. Do you, how do you kind of distinguish that when it's 10 to 20 sets there? Do you just do 10 to 20 sets total and try and kind of split that up evenly? So yes, that is what I do. So I combine all kind of uh, vertical and horizontal pulling for the back. Now the back as kind of described, I guess, is it's just a, a bigger muscle group in that fact, and there's more components to it. Uh, and so you'll probably find a lot of people will need towards the higher end of that on average in terms of number of sets that they need to do. Um, I do like from my experience with clients, certainly it's like you might be able to start a mesocycle with 10 sets for chest, but it's more likely towards 15 for back uh, because of all the different parts of it. And so you want to be hitting it with a little bit more exercise variation. And it depends where the person wants really to grow most of their back. If they really want to emphasize just like, I don't know, their lats and they just want all lats, then you would put a bit more volume towards those, put a little bit less volume towards what would emphasize more of kind of, like you said, the upper back, the rhomboids, the traps and everything. But for a lot of people, a kind of even split between horizontal and vertical pulling worked really well. And hamstrings I've learned are the tricky ones. Mine, mine can only handle less than 10 sets a week right now anyways. And yeah, they're hamstrings are an interesting one. That's for sure. And I'm, I'm sure you see that quite often. Yeah, hamstrings are definitely interesting because this is where it's really important as a coach to realize that your clients aren't you. Because for me, my hamstrings, I just did, you'll hear this workout and you'll be like, oh my God, my hamstrings would be like fucked for like two weeks. Mm -hmm. So I did four sets of straight leg deadlifts followed by three sets of seated leg curls. Now I'm in my week four. So and those are heavy stiff leg deadlifts. I've seen those. <laughs> yeah, so I did 160 kilos today. For 10 8 6 and then 140 down set for a set of eight and then i did the leg curls 
Um, and I know my hamstrings will be recovered next time I need to train them, which is That's in insane. Yeah. If, if I did that, days. it would be probably two weeks before they were recovered. So which that, is that's where a good thing, I guess. Yeah, for No, it is. Um, yeah. A lot of people kind of, uh, there is no badge of honor for needing to do more volume to get the same result. I want to maximize my clients MRV. Oh, sorry. I want to maximize the amount my clients can do in terms of workable volume that they can recover from, because that ultimately means generally there's a dose response. Well, there is a dose response relationship between volume and hypertrophy, so long as you can recover. So I want you as an individual to have the most you can do for the most you can do might be, it doesn't need to be the most versus everyone else. So more is not always better. That's one thing that exactly. I've, I've learned. Yeah. So, for me, I might have to do double the amount of hamstring work to get the same result as what you do, because my body just responds from higher volumes, whether or that's fiber type, whether or that's me being more advanced, whatever it is. Um, and that's where I come to like, your clients aren't you. So like, if I gave everyone the hamstring volume I need, like probably I cripple half my client base and there'd be like, I don't know, a handful of people would be like, Steve, I need more than this. Cause there are some of my clients who need a bit more. And so that's why all of these volume recommendations, like that's where the, the 10 to 20, it's a big range because big range, yeah. you ultimately have to discover it for yourself. And that only comes through going through the training process and noticing things. And that's why, uh, like for you, it, uh, for me, it's great. You feed back to me. You're like, dude, like I really have to hold back on hamstrings. I'm like, okay, you got this. Like, and we know what we're looking for. It's not just, oh, I need to hold back. Cause I don't know, I'm scared or it hurts or it's no, it's a case of like, I get, like a big amount of muscle damage and that's seen through muscular soreness. If I push too hard with too many sets, I can't get the volume in. I can't do my next session and it just won't work well for me because that's where the recovery process comes in where people are obsessed about getting sore and beating themselves up. But if you're sore so much that you can't like get your volume in, you can't do your next session. You're just shooting uh, yourself you, in the foot at that point. Exactly. Right? Yeah. You're effectively kind of trying to repair the, the 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 muscle but you're not actually growing you need it to kind of repair and then you need time for it to grow as well so you're you just, constantly, just constantly sore yeah constantly breaking it down and not allowing it to rebuild right it's, exactly yeah it's pretty simple when it comes down to that side like it i i'm a fan of being sore sometimes like it just feels good to know that you did totally. something but when you think about it like that's when the muscle's broken down and it's working on recovering it needs recovery probably not when you should be going in to train it again. So that was a huge one when I started training that way and, and took that into consideration. Now, number four reads recover when performance is consistently stagnating, take a light week, try and sleep enough. So you're not relying on caffeine and you generally feel well rested. I think this is one that a lot of people sacrifice, including <laughs> myself sometimes. So uh, I know the saying goes, uh, if you don't deload or if you don't have a light week, which I'm referring to there, your body will do it for you. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. And I know I could, where I can remember in my early lifting career where I, I had no semblance of like recovery. It was more is better. Push harder, push harder, push harder. I eventually got injured and then you get a break or I just see regression. And I can remember being like, I'm getting weaker every week. And that's because like the difference, I mean, your performance in the gym is the difference between fitness and fatigue. So when we're in a position where we're kind of recovered well, we can build up nice amounts of fitness. So we get better and better every week. But if you're building fitness, you need to be overloading. And if you're overloading, you're generating fatigue. And over time, as fatigue accumulates, it starts outpacing your fitness gain. And the difference between your fitness and fatigue is performance. And when your performance starts dipping, that's when you know, man, I need to rest up so that I can drop fatigue. So my kind of fitness can show itself and I can perform better. That's where that light training comes in. And a lot of people don't respect that. And every single biological thing goes through this process. So you get a cut. If you don't let that cut heal up and you just like, it just slightly heals and then you like cut it again, it's going to get worse and worse. Um, so you have to give it time to recover or an easy one. And a great analogy is like getting a tan. 
like you need a certain amount of stress and you get a kind of a nice bit of brownness and then you've adapted to that a little bit so you can go in a little bit more and then you can recover out of it get a bit browner but if you just go haywire and you're just like now nah, i'm just going to lie in the sunbed or lie <laughs> in the sun for as long as possible you're going to get completely burnt and then you're good you're, you're that's your deload for you you're going to have to go in like hospital and get all this lotion and maybe like some sur surgery skin removal or something you're going to be in a bad way so we need to kind of stress ourselves enough and then come back and recover and um, that comes down to the general adaptation syndrome. So a lot of people would have heard like gas and that's kind of, you create, create that stress of response. You allow your body to respond, adapt. And then once you've gone through that, you can do it again. And that happens on kind of day-to-day -day basis, week to week, month to month. And so that's why we need every now and then once we've been training for a long time, pushing ourselves harder and harder, we need to take that kind of back off week. And then sleep is something I kind of, didn't consider until maybe i don't know three years ago so ago and i got dan party on the revive stronger podcast and he taught me about like blue light blockers and everything and i was like oh cool you're wearing them as we speak right <laughs> these are the these are the daytime ones if i was okay. wearing the nighttime ones they i'd bet those be the really to... orange ones <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're like you super dark <laughs> you need to send me a link to those because i actually do need to get some blue light blockers or even the daytime ones i'm sure they'd they'd be beneficial for my sleep the nighttime ones are great because uh, they're the ones I recommend most people get because they're going to make the biggest difference. The daytime ones are useful maybe for yourself, but they're useful for me because I can't, I might wear the nighttime ones on a podcast, but I feel better wearing these ones or like out and about um, if I'm out and it's like late, I'll just be like, oh yeah, I'll wear these ones. They kind of look like a bit quirky and no one will think I'm just like, I don't know, <laughs> a weirdo with like really dark <laughs> orange lenses. So yeah, the, I mean, sleep is just, it's huge. The more we learn about sleep, we just realize it impacts like every single little thing. Um, if you get insufficient sleep, you're more likely to injure yourself. You're more likely to kind of lose muscle. You're more likely to underperform. You're more likely to gain fat. It impacts like your uh, immune system, every like little thing within the human body. Getting like neurological disease when you're older. Like there's, there's a ton of stuff that you don't even really think about. It's just like, mm. nah just sleep right just when you're resting it yeah there's a lot that goes into it and the more that i realize that the more i want to prioritize that and i'm that's why i'm glad you hold me accountable to getting a non-negotiable eight hours in bed each night yeah it's it's scary actually and particularly for bodybuilders because arnold schwarzenegger is pretty famous for being like sleep when you're dead like type of type of deal he, that was his attitude uh so yeah i mean actually no his quote wasn't sleep when you're dead i don't know who made that quote it might have been margaret thatcher or something uh but i think his quote was like sleep faster something along those lines like someone complaining about not having time he's like just sleep quicker it's fine so <laughs> coming from him and he's like one of the best bodybuilders in the world and he was kind of undervaluing sleep i'm not sure he still does but it, it's so important and a lot of us do get go through cycles of like relying on caffeine and then you adapt to the caffeine, you need more caffeine and you just start getting into that kind of negative feedback loop and it makes sleep worse. So yeah, it's important. And then people get obsessed with sleep and they overthink it. But the simpler way of thinking about it is you just want to feel well rested and not rely on caffeine. If you're doing that, you're getting enough sleep. Most people know if they're not getting enough sleep because you just ask them like, do you think you're getting enough sleep? But they'll probably be able to tell you whether they're not. <laughs> Yeah, you can usually tell for yourself, like if you feel good throughout the day, you don't need to take a midday nap or anything, and you don't need a bunch of caffeine throughout the day, you're probably getting a good amount of sleep, right? And yeah. you, you can kind of tell on your own. So the last one here, number five, always train with your best technique and execute with quality. Choose exercises that suit you and your muscles are the limiting factor. This is a huge one, I think. Yeah, so that actually links into the the training one from before where I, I'm talking about make sure your muscles are the limiting factor. That really, really came true to me when I was programming for people during COVID and training from home because I was like, so long as you're getting close to failure, working within the 6 to 30 rep range, and we're doing enough volume, as long as your muscles the limiting factor here, we're getting a good workout in. Because training from home, like, the, you know, you know, there's so many different things you can try out and like, but people just kind of give up because it's awkward or they're out of breath. You're or like they deadlifting your couch over in the corner. <laughs> yeah. It is a little awkward. <laughs> so as, but as long as the limiting factor is your muscle, you're golden. And then again, that comes back to like technique. You probably can't like 
swing things around using loads of momentum and know that the limiting factor is your muscle because it was probably just you getting tired or something like that. Whereas if you're not using any momentum, you've got good technique, then the limiting factor has to be that kind of muscle that you're trying to work. Or it will also help you with exercise selection because if someone's like, I want big quads, and they're like, okay, I'm going to do a low bar squat because that's the, the way I can move the most weight. And it's a squat, so it's the quads. Right? Very rarely do the quads limit someone on a low bar back squat. Normally it's the kind of posterior chain. So anywhere like the glutes, the hamstrings, the lower back, that sort of area. And they probably finish a low bar squat just being like, man, I just feel fucked everywhere. My quads, maybe. So then they can start kind of making the exercises a little bit more specific to that muscle group as well. So yeah, technique is everything. Um, I think if I could go back and kind of, I don't know, find a men like a talk to my old self, I would be like, just do everything with perfect technique. Uh, don't use your ego because I've actually started, you've probably seen some of them, I guess, posting some of my old lifting because I've got some of them on YouTube and I'm like, oh God, these are awful. <laughs> so I'm doing like a comparison of before and after and that they're like videos from like, I don't know, 10 years ago or something or eight years ago. But I'm terrible, like my form's awful. Uh, like my lower back's rounding or deadlifts, I'm swinging weights around and I'm just like, no wonder I wasn't growing particularly well back then because i was using a load of other things and my muscle was getting some stimulus but i wasn't kind of training to muscular failure i was training to to know momentum failure and just ability to use whatever i could to move that weight so yeah technique is gonna you're gonna just ultimately get way more stimulus for the muscles which you want for less fatigue less risk of injury and i think that is the foundation to kind of muscle building within the gym before you consider like volume before you've considered frequency, like just get your, if your technique's gold, like you're in a really good place to start adding those things on top. And I think it's really important as a beginner, especially because once you learn technique one, one way, it's hard to unlearn that and kind of transform your technique into something better. I know for me, like when I first started lifting, I didn't have the best technique and it took a long time to change that and make sure that my technique did look good. And so that's why, I think taking form videos is actually really valuable. And that's something that you've taught me. I've always felt kind of like an idiot. Like just if I want to set up my phone and take a video of myself recording a set and I, I don't know, it just feels awkward with people in the gym. I just kind of feel like a douchebag doing that. But when you do it and you're able to look at yourself and critique your own form, it, it just opens your eyes to how you're actually performing the exercise. And then kind of going back to what was it? Number two or something and seeing the reps slow. That's another super valuable thing. So I think, and just watching your range of motion, just seeing yourself from a different perspective is insanely valuable. Yeah. My, my goal is to try and get people to almost lift like a machine. I've had someone say to me that when I do like high bar squats, I, someone thought I was in a Smith machine because my like the squats were just like identical each time. And that's because I'm so precise about using the muscles that I'm trying to use because I used to lift. Like, and again, it comes back to you. I'm just like wasting so much energy because I'm using all these different muscles. I'm like taking breathers all the time. And like my one rep looks different to the next. But if you can lift like a machine and you're just like consistent reps, consistent speed, you can tell when you get to that rep where it slows down. But if you're erratic, you're like, I do four reps and then I'm like shuffling my feet around and then I do like two reps and then like, and the speeds change all the time. But if you think like control on the way down, nice and powerful on the way up and just consistently go and you get into a really good kind of flow state with it, then you know when you're like, okay, that was a grinder. I'm gonna have to really prepare myself for the next one, go again. And you have no, you're not worried about kind of, am I training hard enough? Cause you know, cause things are slowing down and it's getting real hard, but you know, next week you, you can go a bit harder until you mm -hmm. reach that week where, you know, you can't. And then you're like, I'm glad I'm deloading. <laughs> that's, that's everything summed up right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, Steve, I think we'll, we'll cut it there. I think if people take these five things though, and they're just kind of simplified and they actually implement them. Like you said, these are the the details that make the biggest difference. Beyond that, it's just things that you can do to really dial in things, but a lot of people really don't need that. So I think people will find a ton of value in this. I really appreciate you coming on. It's been awesome working with you as my coach and just having this discussion. But where can people reach out to you and find you, follow along to your content? I appreciate that a lot. 
and I really appreciate, yeah, I hope people do find this helpful. And the only additional thing I will say is I think these are the five most important things probably for body composition. I would say long-term health is important. And one I wish I'd implemented there potentially is telling people to eat mostly wholesome, minimally processed food, trying to get five fruit and veg in a day. Because from having done some research into that, it does really seem that like five fruit and veg has like some really strong. So five servings of each? Uh, five total. Uh, okay. Five servings of each is about where essentially once you hit five or total of both, you get a kind of linear increases in reduction of kind of bad things for your health essentially like risk of um, diabetes and like uh, cardiovascular disease and all these different diseases after five you see diminishing returns up until about 10 and then once you hit 10 of both you you start basically it just plateaus so i like anyone to be between five and ten um but five you're really really supporting yourself if you're eating less than five of these I'm not sure you're getting in the micronutrition you should be or the phytochemicals, all of that good stuff that's going to be supporting your best health, your immune system, not getting ill um, and all these kind of other risk of disease. So long term, you're going to grow as much muscle as possible. So I do. I just kind of wish I'd included that because I think in the physique realm, short term, we don't like food composition doesn't matter a ton long term, though, because of the impact for health it probably does matter. So muscle growth is a long-term goal. So I like to maybe just include that one as a bonus for the listeners. <laughs> for those uh, people but, that care about health and not getting yeah. jacked, I guess. Whoever. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, in terms of where they can find out more about me, um, revivestronger.com is the website. So they can find the coaching, our member sites on there um, and our podcast can be found there or the Revive Stronger podcast on any podcast platforms. And then I'm Revive Stronger on Instagram. That's where I'm most active. So if anyone wants to kind of see the content there or reach out, that'll be where they can find me. Thank you again for having me on. Thank you, Steve. I just want to say thank you again for tuning into the podcast. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any questions or need advice on anything, shoot me a message on Instagram at Howell underscore fit. I'm more than happy to help troubleshoot and offer any advice on your fitness journey. Also, if you wouldn't mind taking a screenshot and putting this on your Instagram story and tagging me, that would really help the podcast grow, reaching more individuals like yourself and helping them improve themselves. Thank you again, and I will talk to you guys next time.